week nine of our study. Amen? Have you been enjoying this book of James? Well, I'm glad you have. I'm, I'm going to assume that this morning will be a very educational uh, sermon for many of you. This is week nine of our study called Unsafe Places. Basically, uh, for those of you that are uh, not uh, uh, privy to what we've been doing, we've been talking about the book of James. James is the younger brother of Jesus. James was converted after Jesus had risen from the dead and came back and showed himself to him. And he is a very practical uh, writer. He, he believes that if you are a Christian, you ought to live like one. And that's what we've been doing through this book is learning, uh, learning the 11 primary themes that this book has. There's 11 primary themes. That's what this uh, bumper just showed you, that there's 11 themes. And every one of them makes you unsafe in the culture we live in. And that's why we've called this sermon series Unsafe Places because James says if you are a Christian, you ought to act like one, you ought to live like one. But doing that puts you in some places in the world today that doesn't feel very safe because the world is contrary to what this book teaches us we're supposed to live like. So this morning we're going to talk about something that I'm sure none of you struggle with, so I'm only going to preach to myself. Okay, because what we're going to talk about this morning is how to live with difficult people. I know none of you have any difficult people in your life. None of you have any hard-headed children. None of you, um, and d listen, brothers, look right here at me. I already saw some of y'all about to get in trouble. It's going to be a long car ride home for Jim DeMarco if he don't, if he don't straighten up already. So y'all just keep your eyes on me, brothers. Don't get in trouble already. I know none of you have any difficult people in your life, so let me just, let me just testify this morning as we go through this, uh, this scripture. James already gave us in chapter 1 uh, instructions on how to get wisdom. If you remember in James chapter 1, he says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who will give it liberally. That's what he told us. But that, that wisdom that he was talking about was wisdom that you need just to live, just to be a Christian, just to get along. The wisdom we're going to talk about this morning is the wisdom you need to live with difficult people. Is this word going to help anybody this morning? James chapter 3, verse 13 is where we're going to begin. Now, if you're one of these people that have a Bible, whether it's uh, a, a physical Bible or uh, an electronic Bible, if you would like to leave it open, I will be going through these verses. And I'll, I'm going to read through them now, but I'm going to go back and just teach through every one of them. James chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways... Prove it. <laughs> Do you see what I mean about James? Do you see now why James is my favorite book of the Bible? He's not theological. He doesn't have a lot of doctrine. He cuts right to the chase and tells us the way it is. This is the way I've preached my entire ministry. I, I, I don't have a lot of sugar coat in me. I tell you exactly uh, what the plain word says. And that's what James does. He says, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works, with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and self selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are, pay attention to this, he's going to tell us there are three things. They're earthly, unspiritual, 
and demonic. Let's go back over that again. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. They are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. I'm going to read that again. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, if you live a normal life where you are out in the community, where you are out around other people, you obviously encounter many different kinds of people. Some people are very delightful. Some people are very difficult. Can somebody say amen? Some of them are inspiring and some of them are just irritating. But the fact is, a lot of the problems that you have in life are because other people are difficult to live with. It's conflict that we have one with another. We don't get along with everybody. And there's a reason for that. When your relationships are bad, your life can be miserable. This is why you need to be very careful when you choose your relationships. Yeah, I, I know them baby blues he's got look real cute. But, but them, what's behind them baby blues may not. So we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful when we choose our relationships. So James gives us some very practical advice. Look at verse 18. He said, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. In other words, James is saying that every day in every relationship, you are planting seeds. Now, this is a concept that I'm very familiar with because I grew up on the farm, and it's a concept that I have taught you many different times. And here's the truth about seeds, in case you haven't been here for any of the previous teachings. Whatever you plant is the only thing you can expect to get back. You cannot, under any circumstance, pray over watermelon seeds and pray that they turn into coconuts. It doesn't work that way. The only thing you can ever expect to get from a seed is exactly the seed that you planted. In other words, church, if you plant seeds of anger and jealousy and, and insecurity and chaos, you better expect to get that kind of a harvest back. You will inevitably reap whatever you planted in your relationships. So the question then that, that James is trying to teach us is how do we plant seeds of peace? How do we have a peaceful relationship even when the people are difficult? See, did you, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but James, James did not give you the option to give people what they give you. He didn't say that when you encounter a knucklehead, you turn them into a knothead. That's not the option. He said when you encounter difficult people, you have to learn how to be a peacemaker when they're not interested in making peace. 
This is, this is why James is such in-your-face material. Because he says, how do you have peaceful relationships with difficult people? One word, wisdom. Wisdom. So I'm going to talk all morning about wisdom. James is telling us that once we meet Jesus, we should be a wiser person now than we were then. I didn't figure I'd get very many amens. He tells us that Christians aren't like the world. We're not like the world. And by the way, I know because I come from the old holiness church, when we say that Christians aren't like the world, everybody's like, that's right. Come out from among them and be you separate. But what you really meant was you, you, don't, you don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't hang out with those who do. But what James is saying is it's not just sin that you should leave behind. You should be better at managing your money when you're a Christian. You should be better at managing relationships. You should be better at raising your family. It's not all about sin, but that's what we turned it into in the old church was when we said come out from among them and be ye separated. We, we only thought about sin, but it's not all about sin. James is telling us that Christians ought to have more wisdom than the world. We, we shouldn't get caught up in the same chaos the world does. There should be something in us, which is the Holy Spirit, which guides us to wisdom and truth that we don't, we don't fall for the same mess that the world falls for. Can somebody say amen? So, so now that we've got that out of the way, is that the way you would describe yourself? Would you describe yourself godly? Would you describe yourself as full of wisdom? Because we need to learn how to be wise in the way that we act toward people. And a lot of times we don't treat each other the way God wants us to treat people. Uh, we, we treat people in foolish ways. And a lot of smart people aren't very wise. <laughs> so the first thing James says in verse 13 is this. He says, wisdom is not invisible. He said, if you're wise, I can see it in your life. And by the way, that doesn't mean I can find a, a diploma on your wall. Because wisdom is not smarts in our intelligence. It's not measured by your IQ. Uh, wisdom, listen, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be great if I could just get you saved and then your IQ would go up? Hey, you, listen, that's the greatest evangelism tool ever. Because every, every high school senior would get saved right before finals. Everybody that's in college would come running to the altars to get saved so their IQ would boost up about 50 points. But instead, it has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has everything to do with your character. Listen to what he says in verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. Not by how smart you are, but by living an honorable life, doing works or doing good works with humility that comes from Wisdom. So I can see your wisdom. If you're wise, I can see it. Wisdom's not invisible. But what does wisdom look like? Your faith in Jesus should affect your decision-making, your perspective, and your understanding. I ought to be able to see that once you got saved, you quit being a fool. I, one of the coolest things about getting saved for me, and, and again, I'm just going to testify because I know all y'all are holy, came out of the womb speaking in tongues, and never had any backslidden tendencies in your life. One of the coolest things to me about being saved was I didn't have to remember anything anymore. 
I didn't have to remember all the lies I had told, and I didn't have to remember, oh, I, which lie did I tell them? Did I tell them that I was over there, but I was really, and, and, and when I was out in sin, I had to keep track of all that mess. I, I had to tell, I had to remember who I told that to and what story I told this one to because I was lying to one to cover up the other lie. And once I got saved, all I had to do was remember where I was. And I just told everybody the same story because I was just telling the truth. And sometimes even that's hard for somebody like me to remember exactly. I, somebody will say, didn't you go? Oh, yeah, I did do that. Not that I was trying to cover it up, just my brain don't work all the time. So, In other words, it's not only what you say with your lips. It's what you preach with your living that matters. It's not a matter of your words. It's a matter of your works. And, and, and it's not as much about the diploma that you have on your wall, but in the disposition of how you live. Does people love being around you? Uh, do, they, do they see Jesus in you? Because Jesus was a kind, compassionate person. Do they see Jesus in you? Before I ever opened this scripture today to teach you from it, you already believed all kinds of things. You already feel like you have a whole lot of wisdom about things. I, I, I know people that are firmly uh, invested in the idea that they know some stuff. Some of you ladies, you are convinced you make the best pot of soup. Or, or some of you guys are convinced you're the best mechanic. Uh, some of you, uh, I, every fisherman I know has the secret. Every fisherman I know has exactly, they know exactly how they're going to catch it. That's, I, I, I got a secret spot. I got a secret bait. I got a secret rod. I've got a secret. I lick my thumb three times before I turn this, and, and I'm going to catch a fish. Every person I know feels like they have intelligence or wisdom in some areas. But uh, the world we live in today doesn't value wisdom anymore. This is why I've titled this sermon series, Unsafe Places, because the world you live in today no longer values wisdom. They have placed feelings at the top of the priority list. They want to know how people feel, and if you invade my feelings with your facts, then they want to lash out at you because you have now made them uncomfortable because their feelings are now the most important dy dynamic to which they measure what needs to be said or what needs to be done. They try to silence you if you speak with wisdom. If your wisdom overrides their emotions, then they try to shut you up. So in this world that you live in today, we have an abundance of knowledge, but we have a famine of wisdom. And listen to what he says in verse 14. If you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up, or don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Okay, now's when I'm going to get serious with you. There's two places that you're going to get wisdom from. Okay, one is demonic in nature, one is divine in nature. One comes from below, the other comes from above. So if you want to build better and stronger relationships, you've got to learn how to build from godly wisdom, which is the wisdom from above. If you're going to live a better life, you have to live life with the godly wisdom that comes from above. Proverbs 14 and 12 is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, there is a way that seemeth right unto you, but the end of that thing is going to be death to you. 
There, listen, every person in this room has opinions, but opinions are like belly buttons. We all got them. And some of our opinions are as wrong as two left shoes. And just because you have an opinion doesn't make it godly and it doesn't make it wisdom. And so a lot of people don't understand that your wisdom that comes from yourself or comes from below, the end of that thing is going to take you to death. There's going to be a lot, of, man, I don't want to get too deep into this, but there's going to be a lot of surprised folks in the afterlife. Like there's going to be a lot of people that operated by their godly wisdom and thought they was doing the right thing because, you know, they shared something on Facebook that said if you share this four times, you're going to get blessed. If you share this 14 times, God's going to send you a financial miracle. Or, or if you share this with your lost loved ones, God says he's going to save them. And they're going to do all that sharing but not gain any godly wisdom. And when they stand before the Lord and they don't have their Facebook account, they're going to get real surprised that what they thought didn't turn out to be reality when they were in the face of God. So you need to understand this scripture. The wisdom you choose to follow is going to determine the direction that you live. Okay? So, so whatever you choose to follow is going to... So don't blame everybody else for your life. Your life has been set apart by the wisdom you chose to follow. Did pastor really tell me that I'm responsible for my own actions? Yeah, well you should just call that raising kids. I know that's a shock to your system in the day we live in because everybody's a victim of somebody else's choices. But when I was a kid, my mama used to tell me stupid is as stupid does. My mama used to tell me when, when I was trying to pull on the handles of the, of the counter and, and, and somebody would say, stop him. She said, well, he'll, he'll learn. He'll only do it once. He'll pull that thing over on his head one time and then he'll quit. She was right. But nowadays, we don't want to take responsibility for our own choices, our own actions. We want to blame somebody else. But the wisdom that you choose to follow determines the direction that you'll live. James says in verses 14 through 16, If you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every and evil of every kind. Now, it says in verse 16, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder. That is a, that is a, uh, a great translation. The King James uses the word confusion. But confusion is also translated as disorder, instability. In other words, lack of wisdom invites every kind of evil into your life. So understand what you're playing with when you decide you want to be wiser than God. Understand what you're playing with when you decide that you want to be the king of your own life. The Bible says that wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, see, you think you're just dealing with jealousy. You think you're only inviting in selfish ambition because, well, I don't trust people. So, but, but here's the problem. Wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, you'll find all kinds of disorder and every kind of evil. In other words, jealousy don't come in the door by itself. It brings other problems with it. 
It brings other issues with it. Everything that is evil comes in when there's jealousy and selfish ambition. Why? Because selfish ambition is what got Lucifer thrown out of heaven. Selfish ambition is the beginning of all problems and all sin that you're going to encounter in your life. When you see somebody, and I know y'all don't know anybody like this, so let me testify. Whenever you see somebody that is unstable and unreliable, you tell them we're going to leave at 11 o'clock, they show up at 1230. Or, or they're, un, they're unstable, they've had 14 jobs, you've known them two weeks. It's always the boss's problem. It's always the co-worker. Well, they, they're jealous of me down there. I know more than the boss. You've had a job for 24 hours. You don't know more than the boss. They've lived in nine houses. They've been, they've been members at 14 different churches in the last two weeks. They're unstable. When you meet people like that, when you meet people like that, understand that they are inviting in a world of chaos with them. Because they're unstable in all their ways. So you have to understand that the only person uh, that, that they can make happy is themselves. And, and that's why they're doing what they're doing is because they can't find true happiness because they're trying to find godly wisdom outside of God. And this is what, this is what makes it so hard to live in the world as a believer. Think about your kids, will you? I know you thought you had it bad because you had to walk to school in four feet of snow uphill both ways. I know. I get it. But this world that we're living in today, when they go to school, our kids are getting surrounded by stuff that wasn't even talked about when we were in school. Th think about this. Think about this. Your kids come to school or come to, come to church and you send them over to Explosion Kids and they're like, hey, God made us in, our, in, in his image and his likeness. And they go to school and the school says, no, you, you, you were evolved from monkeys. They go to school and the class tells them, hey, you can pick your gender. Whatever you want to be. You want to be uh, a monkey, you want to be a squirrel, you want to be a boy, you want to be a girl. Whatever you want to be, you can just pick it. And then they come to church and the church says, no, God created us male and female. He created everybody. He only gave us two options. And he's the one that chose for us before we were born. Or, or they go to class and they tell them, all religions lead to the same place. And then they come to church and we're like, yeah, they're right, except for Christianity, because all the rest of them lead to hell and Christianity leads to God. <laughs> so so uh, they're confused in this world and, and, and they're stuck between two worlds and stuck between two cultures. And what you value and what the world values is not the same thing. And you decide every day whether you're going to pull hell up or heaven down. And this is the pressure that you're feeling in the world today, by the way. Because you're trying to operate godly, but you're getting all of your impulses from around a world that is not godly. So there's a culture that surrounds your life, surrounds your family. They're trying to tell you to raise your kids a certain way, but God says don't do it that way, do it my way. And there's all this pressure on you as a believer to do things the world's way. So the culture we live in is, by definition, operating outside of a standard that God has set for us, and it's lawless, and it's diametrically opposed to what God is trying to do in your life. So look what James says. He says, he uses this word, bitter, or this phrase, bitter jealousy. Now, there's two kinds of jealousy, okay? Or, or I'm sorry, there's two kinds of bitterness, 
two kinds of bitterness. One of them I preach on all the time. And that is when you feel like somebody did something to you that harmed you in some way. And you're holding on to bitterness. Hebrews says that bitterness, out of all the problems you're going to have in your life, bitterness is the one that will put a root in you. And it says don't let the root of bitterness settle in. That's, that's regular bitterness. James introduces something called bitter envy. Or if you've got a King James Bible to say bitter jealousy. Okay, here's what bitter jealousy is. Have you ever met somebody, maybe you started a new job or maybe somebody started a new job and you don't have any history with them and you don't know them from Adam's house cat and they just don't like you? I mean, you haven't done a thing to them, you haven't said anything cross to them and just from the very beginning, they don't like you. Most of the time, that's bitter envy. They are jealous of either something you have or something you represent, and they don't know how to express it in anything except out of bitterness. They have no reason to be bitter at you. So here's the problem that you're going to run into in the world today. Bitter jealousy, bitter envy uh, constitutes itself in such a way. They don't like you, not because of anything you've done, but because of what God has done. God gave you favor, they didn't get it, and they're jealous of it. God has blessed you financially, they didn't get it, they don't like you because of it. See, if I'm bitter at you because you, you cut me off in traffic, or you kicked my dog, or you cut your grass and you flung your grass all over my driveway, if I'm bitter at you, I'm mad at you. But if I have bitter envy, I'm not mad at you, I'm mad at God. Because my problem is not with what you've done, but what he's done. He favored you. He promoted you. He placed you in a position I wish I had. And now my problem is not with you. My problem is with him. Because I de you didn't earn what you got. God gave it to you. So bitterness means that you have a problem with a person. Bitter envy means you have a problem with God. And the problem with that is, some of you know, what this is like, i got to be very careful how I say this. Some of you know what this is like because you have people in your life that you love. But when something really good happens to you, you won't tell them. You don't pick up the phone and call them. Why? Because you know it's going to spark jealousy in them. You love them. They're part of your life, but you would not dare tell them, man, I just got my, my salary doubled. Oh, it must be nice. Oh, you just can't be happy for me, can you? You, can't, you, just, you just can't help build me up. You, you, can't just, you can't just say, well, that's the favor of God on your life. You and, and, no, no, instead, they, they have to try to knock you down. They have to make you feel back down to their level because bitter envy says, I will promote you as long as you don't get any higher than I am. And why? Why? And this is the crux of my sermon. Because of selfish ambition in your heart. See, when you, when you operate in the world's wisdom, you're operating by emotions. You're operating by the heart. You're operating by how you feel. And what you feel becomes more important than what you know. So I can, come, I can come every Sunday and give you the best preaching that you're ever going to hear, but if you won't listen to the wisdom, because it, you will listen to your heart instead, it won't do you any good to guide your life.
That's why the Bible says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. It doesn't say the steps of every man. It doesn't say that the steps of a worldly man. It doesn't say that the steps of, some, of, of a drunk man or, or of an envious man or of a lascivious man. It says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord because a righteous man is listening for what God's voice says. A righteous man is trying to do right by him. So all of our steps are not ordered by Him. I don't care how many Facebook shares you have. Your steps are not being ordered by God. God is not a genie in a lamp to just grant you three wishes because you did some Facebook shares. God is holy and just, and He wants to be the Lord of your life. And, and, and so when, when, we, when we see that the Bible says that God does not just give you wisdom, he will also give you a new heart. See, some of you are trying to follow your heart, but you would be better off to follow a stray dog. Because Jeremiah says your heart is despitefully wicked above everything, that it is a fire burning from the pits of hell and that you can't trust it. So don't ever follow your heart. Even God don't like your heart. Here's how I know that. The Bible says that he will take out your old heart and give you a new heart. In other words, your heart, your heart is so in such bad shape. Before the Holy Ghost will move in to your temple, he says, look, that heart of yours, it's not a rehab project. It's a total teardown. we got to get rid of the whole thing and build a new one on the foundation because that heart of yours, I don't want to live in there. Before the Holy Ghost moves in, he's got to put up a whole new structure. So he's not going to, your, your heart's not a fixer-upper. It's a full demo. So before he tells you, uh, before he tells you how to, you have to want to. That's why coming to church and hearing the word doesn't benefit you if you don't apply what you've learned or what you've heard. So, so you have to want to be better, do better, be a better husband, be a better wife, be a better parent, be a better Christian, have a better prayer life. If you don't want to, I can't preach want to into you. I can give you wisdom, but you have to learn how to apply it yourself. And that's what James is telling us up. He says, don't cover it up with boast, boasting and lying. Don't, don't cover up your lack of wisdom by lying and telling people that you are something you're not. Oh, you want an example? Well, I'll tell you one thing right now. If those were my kids, they wouldn't be acting like that. Some of y'all laughing because you know what I'm talking about. I'll tell you one thing right now. No husband of mine's ever going to speak to me like that. If I was in charge around here, things would be different. Yeah, you're probably right. You'd probably be bankrupt. Well, if I was in charge of that church, if I was the pastor of that church, things would be different. Yeah, probably. You'd probably be pe preaching to you and your family because you held their keys hostage and won't let them leave. Yeah, you, you have to know your place and you've got to know what wisdom is. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Kings 20 and 11. The king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, don't let the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who's taking it off. In other words, don't tell me what you're going to do. I want to hear from people that's already done it. The people that's taken their armor off has already went to battle, survived the battle, and came back to tell the story. 
We got far too many people walks around saying, well, I'll tell you one thing. If this was my church or if this was my business or uh, my wife ain't going to treat me like that. In other words, don't tell, don't tell God how tough you are. Don't you tell God how you're going to handle a situation. You have no idea how you're going to handle something until you are put in it. That's why we're not supposed to judge each other's uh, ups and downs and highs and lows. Because eventually, when they're up, you're going to be down, and you're going to be handling things a whole lot differently than you think you are. Oh, you don't believe me? Every husband's going to love his wife forever on the day they get married. Because it's easy. It's easy with you standing there, all your boys is behind you. She's looking good. She ain't got no dragon breath. She ain't burned the beans yet. Y'all haven't got in an argument whether the toilet paper should go over this way or go over that way. Oh, she's looking fine. You're looking fine. Everybody is going to love each other forever on the day they get married. And then, life teaches you something else. Somebody say amen. Okay. Every mother has the perfect plan for raising their little one, and then she has a baby. Listen, I used to have all kinds of philosophies when I had no children. Then I had children and found out I have no philosophy for raising children. Because I would look at other people with kids at McDonald's, and one of them's under the table eating whatever fell. Another one is slapping some neighbor in the back of the head and thinking it's cute and playing peekaboo. The other one's, other one's throwing mashed potato at the waitress, and I'm sitting there going, I'll tell you right now, if that was my kid, if that's my kid, yeah, you got all kinds of ideas about how to raise kids until you raise kids. A mother has all these perfect philosophies. She reads the books, what to expect when you're expecting. Well, Dr. Spock says this is the way that we're supposed to do this and we're supposed to do that. And I'll tell you right now, I've got a 10-point plan. And every day we're going to have 15 minutes of snack time. And that followed by that, we're going to have an hour of, of cognitive reasoning skills development. And then we're going to work on the lacing of the shoes. And she's got minute-by-minute, play-by-play. She's going to do all of these things. And she says, oh, I've got a list of other things that I'm never going to do. My child's never going to sleep in my bed. I'm never going to let them have sugar until they're old enough to drive a car and I'm going to use all natural organic uh, cloth diapers because it's better for the environment. Six months later you will let that kid sleep on top of you with a trash bag wrapped around it while it's sucking on a bottle full of chocolate milk if you can just get eight minutes of uninterrupted sleep. All that philosophy goes out the window when you have to practically apply it. That's wisdom. <laughs> and that's why some of us that's got a few days on us, we hear all of those ideas and we're like, mm-hmm, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. You got it all figured out until you don't have it figured out. Somebody say amen. But see, see the, the culture that's surrounding us right now is just like that. They do not want to hear real wisdom. They think they've got everything figured out. They don't want to hear what the, what, what the Bible says about marriage. They, they don't want to hear what God says about relationships and about gender and about who's supposed to marry who. And they don't want to hear that. 
They, they, they do not. The world today thinks they have it all figured out, and they don't want to hear what God says. Verse 16 says, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find every evil thing. Does anybody have a junk drawer at home? If you've lived, if you've lived in a house longer than 10 years, you've got more than one junk drawer. You've got two. Mm-hmm. And what do you got in a junk drawer? You got batteries, you got a remote control to some gadget you don't even own anymore. You got bee spray, you, you got a light bulb that you don't know what it goes to, but you got to keep it in case it ever goes out. That's your junk drawer, right? I mean, there's just it just collects everything that don't have a regular home. You know where the pots and pans are belong, you, you know, you know where the toothpaste is supposed to go, but if it don't have a home, it goes in the junk drawer. Well, your spiritual junk drawer is is selfish ambition. It just collects all the stuff that you don't want to operate in and you don't know how to deal with it, and it's just your spiritual junk drawer. That's why the Bible says where you have jealousy and selfish ambition, you get all the junk drawer stuff. You get all the stuff that you didn't even know you was capable of. You get all the stuff you said you would never do, and you turn around and you shock yourself. I'm the only one who does this, right? Have you ever done something, said something, behaved a certain way, and been like, I do not know what came over me? Have you ever lost your temper and in a moment said something or did something and acted out of the way, and you're like, what came up? I, don't, I didn't think I, I thought I was farther along. My wife reminded me of a story, and I guess I'll just share it since we're, you know, it's just us. She just reminded me of this the other day. I forgot about it. Several years ago. Now, let's get this straight. This wasn't last week. It's been a minute. It's been several years. We were in another state on vacation. And what you do on vacation don't count anyway, right? Christian people can just do whatever they want to on career vacation. <laughs> we were on vacation. And let's just say that we went to a go-kart track and an altercation took place. And what I'm trying to tell you is, I tried to walk away from the altercation more than one time. And there was this man that was very upset with me for something that happened on the racetrack that I didn't do, but he thought it was me, and he would not leave it alone. But more importantly, he had this wife that was about this tall, and she had a chihuahua complex. And she was in my face, and she was spitting on me, and she was calling me everything except by my name. And I, I tried to walk away. I tried to walk away. I tried. I, try, I tried to walk away, but every time I walked away, they followed me. And then I didn't try to walk away anymore. And I said something that I shouldn't have said, something to the effect, my wife said I called her a chihuahua. I do know I told the man if you're going to have a pet, you should put her on a leash. I do know I said that. I remember saying that. She said I followed up by calling her a chihuahua. I cannot confirm nor deny that I did that. But what I do know is that he squared up and wanted to fight. And I wasn't going to do it. And then I saw that he wanted to fight like this. And all I could think of in my mind was, buddy, you've had a bad day. And about the time I went airborne because I was about to go to jail, Gary Jr. was behind me. And he wrapped me up 
and would not let me go. And I was still trying to get loose from him because I'd had it. Listen, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a pastor. Bishop was far from my mind. I was going to get this guy, and I was going to jail, and he was going to the hospital. And that's the end of the story. Gary Jr. held on to me to the point where I finally just got come back to my senses and let go. Moral of this story is, I didn't go to jail. I didn't strike the gentleman, but in my heart, I was putting a beating on him. Once you, once you get to the point where you surrender to your external temptations, there is no end to what you will do. I tell you my story to tell you this. It's a spiral. This is what James is telling us. It's a spiral. So your best chance of staying out of debauchery is not to open the first door. Listen, listen, if, boy, I, I'm going to get myself in trouble. And I ain't going to fight nobody this morning. I'm going to still get myself in trouble. If you don't want to break God's covenant and end up in a position with the opposite sex that you shouldn't be, don't invite them to your house. Stay out of the back seat. Because if you open the first door, selfish ambition brings all kinds of evil with it. In other words, you're not strong enough to play with sin. I know you think you are. Oh, I can just go out and have one drink. No, no, no. One will turn into 21, and then you're in somebody else's bedroom. And how did I get here? Because you opened the door. Selfish ambition is what got the devil thrown out of heaven. Here's what the devil said. The devil said, I'm the victim here. God's got too many restrictions on my life. I, I think I ought to be in charge. What gives him the right to sit up there on that throne anyway? I want to be on the throne. That's selfish ambition. That's envy. That's what James is warning you about. Let me show you what it looks like when he comes to your house. He shows up in a garden, and there's Adam and Eve. What's he say to Eve? Hey, you're the victim here. Why does God say that you, listen, he's in charge. I feel like you should probably make up your own decisions. He's just keeping you from having fun. What, what, what gives him the right to tell you what tree to eat from anyway? I mean, look at this tree. He's six foot three and got abs. When are you ever going to find another tree like this? When are you ever going to find another opportunity to make this kind of money? When are you ever going to have the upper, this kind of opportunity to have this much fun? God's just trying to keep you. As a matter of fact, YOLO. You only live once. You need to have some fun. You need to experience life. See what I mean by this is the junk drawer? Once selfish ambition and envy kick in, and you're like, yeah, you know what? God probably is trying to keep me from having some fun. I mean, and who says God didn't send him my way anyway? Who says God didn't offer me this job anyway? Who says that God didn't do this anyway? You start... You start rationalizing and justifying all the trouble that you're about to cause yourself. Satan's full of bitter jealousy. That's why Satan got thrown out of heaven. Satan uses bitter jealousy against you to keep you out of heaven. He wants to dethrone God and enthrone himself. And here's the problem. We live in a world where a lot of people make it a habit of critiquing everything. Let me say that again louder for the ones in the back. We live in a world where everybody thinks they're an expert on everything. And they get to criticize everybody. 
But I have got reached a stage in my life where I'm tired of people criticizing me. So I'm going to stop criticizing other people. Let me help you. If you are 75 pounds overweight, watching the game with nacho cheese stains on your shirt, you probably shouldn't be critiquing the way they throw the football on TV. I'm just saying. Oh my God, he's a bum. No, you're the bum. He's an athlete. <laughs> Hello? Let me go one step further. You, your idea of a balanced checkbook is when you go to the ATM and it actually spits money out. You probably don't know enough about the national debt to be talking about whether, where they should be putting their billions. I'm just saying, if you can't balance your own checkbook... What makes you think you know about the national debt? I'm just saying, we love to critique everything. And because, because the critics have become so loud, the church has become quiet. Because the things that we teach in this room doesn't fly out there. They don't want you to know about godly wisdom because they don't want relationship status to take over. They say we're outdated. They say that this is old-fashioned. They say that this is... Prime, uh, a primitive. They say that, that the world has moved on. Well, let me tell you something. The creation can never outpace the creator, and God said it, and he meant it when he said it, and it's always going to be the way God instilled it, and the world can believe that what they want to, but it won't change what's written inside the pages of this book. When God said that this is the way it is, this is the way it is. They don't want to hear it, but that shouldn't keep us from preaching it. They shouldn't teach us from proclaiming it. We've got to keep on with the message. Godly wisdom is always going to win, but the world doesn't want to hear it. That's why it's unsafe for you. It's unsafe for you to speak your mind. Listen, try to be the grown-up in the room. They'll set you on fire. They'll go get the cross and try to crucify you. Try to be the grown-up in the room and say, well, I don't think it's the way God wants. God! They will try to Burn down your house. And now we've got churches. Now we've got churches. Churches. That are trying to compromise with the world. Because they don't want to hear the critique. I don't want to get too... I don't want to get too... I, I, I won't cast aspersions, but there are churches. that don't want to... Because the space, the places has become unsafe, they have started compromising the message because they don't want to be the one under fire from the world. And they say things that sounds spiritual to justify what they're doing. They'll say things like, well, we shouldn't judge. Can't we all just get along? No. Not, not heaven and hell. No, 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 I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Light has no place in darkness. It just doesn't exist there. Not, 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 when, it, not, not, not when it comes to God and Satan. Listen, some things are never going to reconcile until God burns this place down and establishes a new kingdom. Some things are just never going to get along. 
And so when it comes to matters of light and dark and right and wrong, some things are just right and some things are just wrong. And it's time that the church used godly wisdom again and was willing to take the criticism of the wicked world that we live in and say, I know you don't want to hear it, but this is what thus saith the Lord. Because they don't want to say it. That's why it's unsafe for you. But God drew a line. And he said, everybody on this side's for me. And everybody on that side is against me. And the lie of the world today is either the line doesn't exist or we have permission to move the line. Because we used to believe things in most every church that now some churches have backed off of. Why? Because they say, well, we want to be culturally relevant. Or they say, well... Before, these things were looked down upon, but I have a brother who lives this lifestyle. Or I have a cousin who loves the Lord and is a preacher and is living like this. So God has to be in favor of it. Can I tell you that you don't have permission to move God's lines? None of us do. Godly wisdom says this. Whatever side God's on, I want to be on his side. If if he's not on the side of adultery, I better stay on this sideline. Y'all not going to help me. If he's not over there where lying and perversion is, I better stay on that side of the line. Because I, at the end of the day, I'm not going to stand in front of the culture and have them judge me. I'll stand in front of a God, and he's going to give me permission to enter his kingdom, and it's going to be up to him and the life I live my So what's godly wisdom look like? Look at verse 17. But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Take that home and read it. That's what wisdom looks like. That's what wisdom looks like. Proverbs 3 uh, 14 and 15 says wisdom is more profitable than silver and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. Here's what, here's what James said. He said, I can see your wisdom. Wisdom's not invisible. I can see it because you have integrity. You don't lie to me. You don't steal from me. I can trust you around my wife. He says, you got integrity. If you, are, if you have godly wisdom, you have integrity. Because all relationships are built on trust and respect. All relationships are built on trust and respect. And if I can trust and respect you, it must mean that I see something in you that's not like I see around me. Because i got to be honest with you. There's a whole lot of folks in this world I wouldn't trust around my money or my woman. How do I, what's godly wisdom look like? James says, you look for peace. You try to make peace instead of making a point. Listen, the world is full of hostility and it's not going to get any better. You're going to have to learn how to deal with hostility and not give them what they give to you. Hello? My mother used to say this. Listen to me, boy. I don't know how your mama talked to you, but that was about as kind as my mom ever got with me. Listen to me, boy. It don't matter what they call you. It matters what you answer to. And, and so, so, you need, so you need as a Christian to realize it doesn't matter what they call you. It doesn't matter what they say about you. It doesn't matter how they abuse you or scandalize your name. What matters is that you know whose you are. You know who you are, and your identity is hidden in him. And so you don't have to, 
you don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. What's godly wisdom look like? I think less of myself and more of other people. He said impartial. He said it's considerate. Considerate means that I think about other people. I think about other people. I think about other people. Does anybody ever play this game at home? My day was worse than your day. Anybody ever play that game at home? You know, the husband comes home and says, man, a lot. The car was overheating. Traffic was terrible. There wasn't no AC at work. And the boss was on us all day long. And she says, oh, yeah, well, Junior flushed the cat down the toilet. And... Because we can't just let somebody have a, a bad day. We have to top their bad Does anybody know that game? I hate that game. Or how about this one? Hey, man, my, my foot's really been hurting. You, ever, you got one of these toppers in your life? My foot's really been hurting. The doctor says I may have to have surgery. Oh, yeah, well, I'm probably going to have to have open-heart surgery and a valve replacement because I, I... See, anybody got them toppers in their life that you can't be sick or well without them topping your story? Anybody got them toppers in their life? Well, the Bible says godly wisdom don't act like that. Godly wisdom is considered of other people. It, 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 you don't have to top every story. You don't have to be the worst or the best in the room. Because you consider other people. You know why? Because the same Jesus that died for you died for them as well. Uh That's, That's me remembering how weak I am. That without a Savior, I'm nothing anyway. So I'm not any better than anybody else because I needed Him just as badly as they need Him. Amen? So, and and the last but not least, what's godly wisdom look like? Here's a phrase that you won't hear anywhere else, I don't guess. When you see me, you'll see me. I, l- I try to live my life like this. When you see me, you'll see me. In other words, you don't see one of me in this room and then run into, Wal- run into me at Walmart and find another version of me. Now, when you see me, you'll see me. If me and you are on a hunting trip or if me and you are in the altar, you're going to see the same me no matter where I am. And, and that's godly wisdom. That's what he said. He said, you're stable. You're not blown abound, around. You're not influenced by the society or the room that you walk into. Some folks act like the room they're in. They're a chameleon. They, they take on the appearance uh, of the room. They walk into the church room, and they take on this appearance. They walk into the break room at work. They take on a different appearance. They walk into the strip club. Did the pastor just say strip? Yeah. They walk into strip. They got a whole other appearance. See, what James was talking about was back in those days, the Greek theater used to use uh, only about two or three actors, and they would act out all the parts. There may be 20 parts, but only three actors. So when they would change characters, they would hold a mask up. And sometimes they were males acting like females, or, or uh, uh, they would have multiple parts, and the only thing that would change would be the mask. That actor was called a hypocrite. So when Paul tells us to not be hypocrites, when Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites, he's saying, you got too many masks. He says, you got too many faces. As a matter of fact, some of y'all think y'all have two-faced people in your life. I have some folks in my life that two-faced is being very generous. Because these folks have about a dozen at least, depending on whatever room they're in. That is, and, and James is saying here that when you see me, you ought to see me. Doesn't matter where you run into me, I ought to be the same consistent person always, no matter where I am. Because if I'm wise, if I'm wise, I'm not acting anywhere. I'm willing to show you I'm weak. Because it's in my weakness that he's made strong. So I don't have to pretend like I got it all together. And that way when you find me broke, 
I have to fake it till I make it? That's baloney. You just go ahead and tell me up front. I got some issues. Come on up, honey, if you, if you will. Because I'm, I'm going to end this. I'm not done, but I'm going to quit. When I meet you, if you just go ahead and put your issues out there, that's godly wisdom. That's godly wisdom. Oh, pastor, Christians should be like this. Yeah, and we should be working toward that. We should be working toward perfection. But ain't none of y'all sprouting wings yet. So you're not there yet. We're still working out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. We're working it out. We're walking this thing out. And none of us are perfect. If, if you're perfect, don't come to this church. We are going to mess you up. Don't, don't join this church. Because if you're perfect, you're going to come here and you're going to be all kinds of upset. Because you're going to find mess on all of us. You're, you're going to find out that there's people in this room that are struggling with addictions. And, and they, they raise a hallelujah on Sunday, but they, they, go, they go outside the walls and they struggle with pornography or they struggle with nicotine or they struggle with alcohol or they struggle with something worse than that. And there's people that sit in this room and you don't know their name and you look at them and you're like, boy, that's a cute little Christian and they, they leave here and they've got adulterous relationships in their life and they're, tra- and, they're, and they're trying to work this thing out. And they're trying, because they just found Jesus and they don't understand how to love a man they can't see more than they can love the man that's in their bed at home. And they're learning how, this is too real for them, I can't, I can't be real. Because you don't get saved and get perfect. He saves messy folks. And that's why we claim that this is the perfect church for imperfect people. Because we don't have a whole lot of people walking around here trying to make you act bad for how you are. Because I believe promise of victory is here for the misfits. Because we can't do much to change what's going on out there. But we can make this building an environment where King Jesus is lifted up. And this is the place where you can walk into week after week from outside the world. And you can say, you know what? These are my people. These are my people. They know what it's like to be jacked up. They know what it's like to not be perfect but want to be perfect. They know what it's like to be trying to lay stuff down but you keep the things I wish I wouldn't do or the things I did and the things I said I'd do, I don't do those. Does anybody remember the words of Paul? He says, the stuff I said I wouldn't do, that's the stuff I did. And the stuff I went up to the altar and told the pastor about and said, this is what I'm going to do like a good soldier every week. I haven't been doing those things. And a lot of churches, they would just write you off and discount you and say, well, you, you call us when you can try harder. But here's what James is teaching us. You'll never try hard enough. You can never try hard enough to please your Father. Because no matter how good you are, you're still broken. You are more sinful than you give yourself credit for. And you're more loved than you can ever imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's why Jeremiah said your heart is despite, it's spitefully wicked because you've got feelings and emotions and sins that you don't even know about and won't deal with and are confused about. God knows all about them. They're not hidden from Him. But at the same time, He loved you so much that He sent His Son to die on your behalf so that you can have credit for His life because He took the blame for your life. You were so sinful, God had to die for you to go to heaven. But you are so loved that He did it without hesitation. People say, I'm living right. By whose standards? You living better than you were? That's as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. Listen, if you are better now, if you are wiser now, if you are more disciplined now, if you are more holy now than you was this time last year, great. You're doing a good job. Let me pat you on the back. You're doing well. Well done. Because when you say, I'm living right, I don't know what you mean. Because when they came to Jesus and said that he was good, he said, there's but one good. He's the Father. All the rest of us have mess on us. All the rest of us have got some flaws. All the rest of us have got some issues to work out. So when you say I'm living right, I don't know what you mean. Because there's always somebody living better than you. There's a monk in a monastery somewhere up on some high hill that hasn't cussed anybody out in a long time because they took a vow of silence. And they eat better than you, and they study more than you, and they pray more than you. Are you living more right than they are? Yes. You're living at least as good as they are. Because the Bible says we're all fallen short of the glory of God. So every person in this room needs the same Jesus. And you don't just need him one time 30 years ago that came, made you come to an altar. You need him now. You're going to need him tomorrow. <laughs> you're going to need him next week. And if the earth survives, you're going to need him every day for the rest of your life. And that's what James was saying. He's saying, look, use some godly wisdom. You're not like the world. Don't live like it. But at the same time, understand what got you into this position. What made a mess out of your life you got to use wisdom not to go back to it. So every person in this room, I just want to encourage you. Listen, we're going to pray. We're going to pray over you to come out of the mess that you're in, to get out of the relationship that you're in that you don't belong in, to think different. We're going to pray for you. But I want to tell you that the fact that you are praying the prayer, well done. Well done. Well done, because that tells me that you're still seeking the Lord. A lot of judgmental churches don't want to give you any credit for, for little victories. If you're better this time last, uh, today than you was last month or last year, well done. I congratulate you. But pastor, I still got some problems. Yeah, and so does the pastor. If I go back to a go-kart track, I'm going to have to watch my P's and Q's. Because we're all just one decision away from blowing the whole thing up. So we have to we have to be we have to operate in godly wisdom. But please don't understand. Please don't ever think you walk into this room and you're in a bunch of perfect people. We all have a varying degree 
of brokenness. That's why this is the right church for people that realize I don't have it all together. So I'm going to ask right now for every person in this room that says, I've got something in my life that I need to be better at. I need more wisdom concerning my whatever it is, my relationships, my my mouth, my finances, the way I approach people. Every person that has that, I want you to stand to your feet. And if you're physically able, I want you to raise your hands to heaven. And listen, I just want you to start confessing. I just want you to start saying, God, I, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to deal with my children. I need wisdom to not speak to my wife in a harsh tone. I need wisdom to love my husband better. I, I need wisdom to, to, to manage my money correctly. Whatever it is, I want you to just begin to confess it to the Lord. You're not confessing it to me. I'm not interested. I'm not going to come around and take your confession. But just right now, whatever it is, let the Lord hear you say, I need you to help me with my addiction. I need you to help me with my, uh, my, my mind wanders sometimes and goes into places it shouldn't go into. I, I, I've, I, I need your godly wisdom to overshadow me.